Good morning and welcome to our Sunday service. I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas, just spending time with your family and loved ones and building great memories with them. I also really hope that you're getting a chance to just rest and and be re-energized after what has been a really difficult, tough year. Um, I also hope that we all use the opportunity just to draw closer to God. It's always a wonderful opportunity and time uh, just to do that as well. Now, on Thursday, Jarrett gave the the Christmas sermon, and uh, he made a few really great points. And one thing that really stuck with me that I've been thinking about the last couple of days is that uh, we can't accept Jesus as Savior, but reject him as Lord. You know, Jesus is both. He's fully Savior, and he's fully our Lord and our King. It's like two sides of the same coin. And then Jared also used the word rescuer to really describe uh, yeah, the person and the, and, and, and the mission of Jesus. And that's, that's very helpful for me. You know, this word rescuer really uh, brings in all the, uh, you know, what's associated with being a Messiah and a Savior and a King and a Deliverer. And the point was also made that for Jesus to be our rescuer, he needs power and authority. You can't rescue people from you know, their, their sin. You can't rescue people from the brokenness of the world. You can't uh, bring about healing and restoration and redemption, which is all part of the act of rescue, without having authority and power, which really helps us to focus on Jesus as King. So today I'm going to uh, speak about the message of the King. Thursday, it was the coming or the birth of the king, and today I'm going to focus on the message of the king. Uh, But let's first pray. Father, we are always grateful for you, for your love and your mercy. Thank you, God, that you are faithful, and that even during this, this difficult year, God, that we can still connect and that we can still have a relationship with you and with each other. Um, Father, I just pray for the world at the moment. I pray for our country. I pray that you'll be with uh, those in in power who who have tough decisions to make. I pray you'll give them wisdom, God. Um, I pray you'll give them courage. I pray, Father, for us just as as South Africans, as normal citizens, that you'll give us, uh, yeah, just a a deep desire and the conviction just to to be wise, God, and to, um, yeah, just to support uh, what our, our leaders want us to do, God, uh, just to try to bring this this COVID uh, pandemic, this this horrible thing, God, that's causing so much pain and threatening lives and livelihoods, that we can help bring this to a close, Father. But God, I know that you are teaching us lessons through this. I pray we learn the lessons, God, not just as your people, uh, but people who have not yet uh, accepted you, King Jesus, as Lord. And that, this will be a time for, for many people just to reflect on the meaning of life and their vulnerability and that it will help draw people to you. Father, I pray that you'll help me now as I just speak about what, what I believe you've put on my heart. Um, I pray that you will help everybody here just to yeah, accept the message uh, humbly, God, uh, just accepting that what is in your word is true and it is worthwhile to follow. So God, please be with us now. I pray that we glorify you and you alone. And it is in your mighty name, King Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Okay, so when new presidents are elected in countries, you know, democratic countries, you know, 
the voters decide once every so often, maybe every four years, every five years, who the governing party should be and who their president should be. And this is particularly the, the case in America, which obviously gets a lot of uh, you know, exposure. And when a new president in America is inaugurated, sworn in, uh, billions of people uh, are witnessing that. Um, now, the new president, the incumbent, uses that opportunity to share his vision for his country, sometimes his vision for the world, but also his priorities. You know, the new president would typically say, man, these are my one or two or three things that I'm really going to focus on to create a better life uh, for us all. Now, it's always hard to compare presidents to Jesus. And obviously, we, you know, it's really it can't be done. But bear with me. Yeah, this is just an illustration. You know, in a sense, Jesus also gave an inauguration speech when he was sworn in, when he was inaugurated um, as, as king. Now, we read about that in each of the gospel accounts. Uh, I'm going to read the one from Mark chapter 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1 from verse 14. Just the second part of verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, these are the first recorded words of Jesus after he has been baptized by John, after he has received you know, the Holy Spirit, which we read earlier on, descended on him like a dove. And after he was affirmed by the Father, you know, God said, you know, you are my beloved son and with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus here has been sworn in. He has been affirmed by the Father to start his term, term of office. He had three years. You know, Jesus had three years on earth to, to put into practice his message, which is about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this inaugural address of Jesus uh, is heavily laden with meaning. And a lot of these words and concepts are not properly understood or fully understood, even by Christians. I'm going to take a little bit of time really digging into this, right? We're speaking today about the message of Jesus, and this is the core of the message of Jesus. So let's start at the beginning. You know, Jesus, he proclaimed the gospel of God. So what is the gospel? Yeah, the gospel is also interpreted or translated as the good news, uh, but the gospel is not that we are saved from our sins and that we'll go to heaven one day, as Jarette said as well on Thursday. The gospel is also not that Jesus will take all of our problems away and take care of us. Now, there are elements of, of truth in both of those statements, but that's not at the heart of the gospel. You see, this word gospel um, is translated from the Greek word euangelion. Now, the people in this time, in the first century, understood this concept a whole lot better than we do, especially those who lived under the Romans, in the Roman Empire. You see, when a new emperor was elected or took over power, often violently, but when there was a new emperor, uh, he would send out heralds, he would send out messengers throughout the kingdom, and they would typically ride from village to village on, on fast horses, 
And, you know, the people would gather around them in the villages, and then the messenger, the herald, would announce. He would say, Evangelion, good news. We have a new emperor. And this emperor is going to do a lot more than the previous emperor did. He's going to improve our lives. He's going to protect us from our enemies. You know, pledge allegiance to this new emperor. You know, he's going he's gonna to do great, great things for us. He's going to expand our kingdom. He's going to take care of us. Okay, so at the heart of gospel, this Evangelion announcement is a king. You know, that there is a new king. So that is the gospel of the kingdom of God, is that we have a new king, and that new king is Jesus. Now, we're also told in the scriptures, for example, in 1 Peter 4, verse 17, that the gospel is to be obeyed. Now, think about it. You know, if we understand gospel, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, as our sins being forgiven, how can, how can we obey that? You know, if we understand the gospel as, you know, Jesus will take care of us, you know, how do we obey that? And as I said, you know, there are certainly benefits uh, and privileges of being in the kingdom, but the gospel that needs to be obeyed is the gospel of a king, you know, that we have an all-powerful king. And this king had come and he was busy inaugurating, establishing his kingdom um, at the time that he gave this inaugural address. Okay, Jesus then goes on to say, um, the time is fulfilled. Now, this is really important. You know, the coming of Jesus was not a random event. It wasn't something that was totally unpredictable. It wasn't something that just happened by chance. You know, Jesus said that the time is fulfilled. Now, Jesus is referring to uh, the prophecies and, and the writings in the Old Testament about the kingdom of God and that out of Israel would come a representative, the Messiah, who would lead Israel to victory and who would, in fact, uh, be king over the entire, entire world. So Jesus is linking this event, his coming, and his message and his ministry to God's story. This is a fulfillment of God's story, you know, Jesus says. Now, of course, there are lessons in that for us. You know, when we proclaim the gospel, now, as the apostles did, you know, Jesus passed the baton to the apostles. And when we, when we read about them proclaiming the gospel, um, they always linked it to God's story. You know, they explained through the scriptures that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the promised rescuer. And it's important for us to know the story, to be able to tell the story. You know, Jesus is not just a random person who popped up at a random time, right? The time has been fulfilled, he said. And then he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom? Now, this is language that is difficult for us to understand. Certainly back then, you know, and in ancient civilizations, people understood kings, they understood kingdoms. Um, so let me just explain a few things about the kingdom. And it's hard to kind of find an exact analogy uh, nowadays. But a kingdom obviously has a king, and the king of God's kingdom is Jesus, King Jesus. A kingdom also has subjects or citizens, right? Who are the subjects or citizens in the kingdom? Those who are allegiant to Jesus, those who have entered into his life and live under his lordship. Uh, a kingdom also had a, a realm or a domain 
really referring to physical boundaries. Okay, the Roman Empire was a very impressive kingdom. You know, it's at its peak, it surrounded the Mediterranean, it went slightly east and into Egypt even, and then north into parts of Europe. It was an impressive kingdom, but it had limits. The kingdom of God has no limits. The kingdom of God is a universal kingdom. The kingdom of God reigns over both the material and the spiritual world. Then fourthly, a kingdom also has a duration. Now, kingdoms of the world come and go. The Roman, Emperor, the Roman Empire was pretty impressive, but it didn't last longer than a few hundred years. You know, God's kingdom, uh, inaugurated, established by King Jesus, is an everlasting kingdom. It will have no end. And then fifthly, a kingdom has a culture. What is the culture of the kingdom of God? Well, that's a, it's a, culture is a complex thing, right? But culture is determined by, by the values that are lived out and taught. Uh, culture is, is determined by the laws in the kingdom and the expectations. A culture is determined by language, uh, figures of speech. Culture is determined by you know, just by traditions and celebrations and the like. And all of those um, are unique in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a unique culture. Now, so Jesus, in proclaiming the kingdom of God, also established a, a culture, and it is a counterculture. It is a culture that is very different to the culture in the world. Okay, so Jesus um, announced the coming of the kingdom of God with all of those aspects which he would then unpack during his ministry and the apostles, especially Paul, would enlarge on uh, in, in his writings. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is close by, he said. The kingdom of God is near. It is here. And of course, people could have reached out and touched the kingdom. You know, they could have touched Jesus. You know, Jesus was God's kingdom, is God's kingdom personified. They didn't get it initially, but the kingdom was so close that it was standing in their midst. And then he calls, he calls us to repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is central to the message of Jesus as well, the call to repentance. Now, repentance is more than just, uh, you know, stop stopping certain behaviors. Repentance is more than coming up with a checklist of sins and slowly ticking them all off. A repentance, as we've explained in this church quite often, this word metanoia means a change in mind, a change in, in mindset, a change in how we think and how we process the world. Uh, and as a result of the change in, in, in our thinking, in our minds, it brings about deep change from inside. We just view the world differently. We understand our purpose differently when we repent. We understand that, uh, that, that we have a new identity in Christ and that we belong to a new family. You see, at, and at the heart of repentance, as would have been understood in this culture, in the time of Jesus, was a shifting of allegiance. That is the ultimate metanoia, that we shift allegiance to King Jesus. Anything that we trust in, anything that we live for, anything that we place our faith in, anything that gets us out of bed all excited, right, gets us up in the morning, we shift our primary allegiance from those things to King Jesus. So at the heart of repentance is allegiance to the King. Now, Jesus then finally says we need to believe in the gospel. 
Now, once again, this word believe is not just a cognitive, yeah, I see the facts and I accept the facts. Uh, the Greek word, again, is pastoyo. Now, pastoyo is not just a cognitive acceptance. It involves trust and obedient trust. You know, to truly believe in Jesus, once again, requires and is demonstrated by pledging allegiance to him, living as loyal uh, citizens in his kingdom. That's what we need to do. We need to believe in the gospel. The gospel is to be, to be believed in. The gospel is to be obeyed. We believe in a person and we obey a person by recognizing his authority. Now that is, in a nutshell, the inauguration speech, the message of Jesus, his vision and his priorities uh, for his three-year term. Uh, but just getting back to this word belief, what I find quite helpful is to um, imagine boarding an airplane, which I have done quite often in my life, uh, sitting down. Now, I, to, to get onto that aircraft, I need to believe in the pilot, okay? And not just to believe that this guy who introduces himself as Nico van Rensburg, you know, is a pilot and he's a qualified pilot, I don't just need to believe that Nico van Rensburg is actually sitting up front there. Uh, I need to trust that this pilot knows what he's doing. I need to trust. I need to entrust him with my life, you know, that he will, in fact, you know, bring us safely to our destination on the other side. And that's kind of, to me, quite a useful illustration of the kind of belief that we need to have in Jesus. We need to entrust our lives to our King Jesus. So, the message of Jesus is that a new king has arrived and that he would proclaim this message. And to be part of his kingdom requires us to repent, to pledge allegiance to him, and to live according to the values that he was going to explain and, and bring in and explain through his, through his ministry. Okay, so getting back to the illustration of inaugural addresses. You know, sadly, many... Presidents do not stick to their original vision and fulfill the promises that they've made. And often their focus changes. You know, they get distracted. Uh, when there's opposition, they can sometimes, you know, change the direction. Uh, when their voter support drops, they can, they can make changes. But Jesus is different. You know, Jesus stuck to his message. Jesus continued to announce the kingdom of God, even when there was opposition, even when he was persecuted. In fact, especially when he encountered opposition. You see, everything about the ministry of Jesus was focused on the kingdom of God. You know, the message of Jesus was consistent. He consistently called people to repent to enter the kingdom of God. He consistently told people that the kingdom of God was near and that it was good news. It was, it was the gospel of a new king. He, he continually taught people and called them to submit to him, to believe in him, you know, to pledge allegiance to him, regardless of, of the situation. You know, we read this in um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease 
and every affliction among the people. You know, this is often referred to as the threefold ministry of Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel, he taught the gospel, and he healed people to demonstrate the gospel. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Everything Jesus did was focused on his kingdom message, right? The kingdom has arrived, and I am the new king. And this is what life in the kingdom looks like. And I just want to focus on a few examples of, of his teaching and his healing ministry. Now, te- Jesus was, was the ultimate teacher. You know, he taught in so many different ways. And he typically taught and role-played and demonstrated what living according to the values of the kingdom looked like. An example of that that I'm sure will come to mind is the Sermon on the Mount. You know, G- Jesus there taught that this was a countercultural kingdom, you know, that the values and the way that we operate and live together and treat one another and treat people in the world is fundamentally different to what you will experience in any other kingdom or country in the world. You know, Jesus, for example, taught that we need to love our enemies. I mean, how crazy is that? You know, he said we should never be anxious about anything. Right. In this year, that's pretty difficult. Okay, so Jesus taught over and over the values of the kingdom and what kingdom living looked like. You know, Jesus also taught through parables. And I think that the most powerful way that Jesus taught about the kingdom was through his parables. Jesus told many parables. And here's the thing, all of them were concerned with the kingdom of God, either either directly or indirectly. And parables are a way of bringing a message across through using very practical illustrations to help the listener connect with with the message. Now, I'm just going to summarize, briefly paraphrase a few of the parables of Jesus that teach us very important lessons about the kingdom. Uh, Now, in Matthew 13, uh, we find a concentration of parables of Jesus. I think it's the highest concentration of parables uh, in any of the chapters um, in the in the Gospels. There are eight parables uh, in Matthew 13. Let's just look at a, a few of them. Um, you know, Jesus compared the, par- the, the kingdom to a mustard seed. He said, you know, just as a mustard seed is a very small seed, it actually grows and develops into one of the biggest bushes. Uh, mustard bushes, by the way, can grow 10 meters high and, and 10 meters across from a tiny seed. So Jesus said, that's what the kingdom is like. You know, it's, it's going to grow. It starts small. You know, Jesus started small. You know, he made disciples one by one. You know, he patiently taught and demonstrated the kingdom of God to the 12, uh, but also to small groups of people in, in villages and towns and in the synagogue, certainly, and he engaged with lots of people, but it was typically small groups of people. Yeah, there were exceptions like the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus was patient and he, you know, the kingdom comes one soul at a time. Starts small but continues to grow. And look at the kingdom of God nowadays. It has extended across the entire world. Yet many, many people have yet to submit to Jesus as Lord. Many people are still in the in the kingdom of darkness and need to be brought into the light. You know, many people still need to hear the good news, the gospel, of the kingdom and the king. Another 
parable that he tells, you know, that is recorded in Matthew 13, uh, is the parable of the hidden treasure. You know, it's a story of, of a man who's walking in the field, and, and he's in a field that doesn't belong to anybody, and he discovers some hidden treasure. And this treasure is so valuable and precious, it's worth so much that he sells everything he has to buy this field so that he can be the, the legitimate owner um, of, of this treasure. And then in a similar vein, you know, Jesus refers to uh, the, the kingdom as a pearl of great value. It is like a merchant, he says. You know, a merchant's deal, they buy and sell things. It's like a merchant who has this opportunity to buy this amazing pearl um, of great value. And he too sells everything he has to buy this pearl. You know, that's how precious and valuable the kingdom of God is. Now, does that describe our attitude? You know, do we really understand the kingdom like that? That it is something so valuable and precious uh, that the worth cannot be determined and that we are willing to give up anything, everything to be part of the kingdom. You know, Jesus then also refers to the, the, the kingdom in uh, Matthew 13 as uh, like a net that is thrown into the ocean by fishermen and which catches many fish. And he describes how the fishermen will drag this net to shore and they sort out the good fish from the bad fish. I'm not sure what the good fish are. The bad fish might be sharks that they didn't eat or something like that. But they needed to sort out the fish, the good fish and the bad fish. And then Jesus says that when he returns, the angels will sift through the kingdom and they will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Now think about that. That's quite scary, isn't it? You know, we have, you know, we have churches, we have you know, the kingdom of God established throughout the world. But Jesus says that in the kingdom, there are unrighteous people who needed to be sifted out. Um, and I was thinking about this. You know, if you consider what, you know, the, the, the heart of the gospel, that it is a call. It's, it's about pledging allegiance to Jesus. You know, that the unrighteous folk who in the kingdom who seem to be doing the right things, perhaps they're the people who haven't really submitted fully to the lordship of Jesus. Perhaps they're people who, are not, who have not pledged and who are not living in allegiance to the king. That's quite a, quite a scary thought. I don't want to be sifted out as an unrighteous person because I have held back in submitting to King Jesus. And I'm sure uh, you will say the same. You know, so Jesus preached. He taught about the kingdom. He proclaimed the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom. And his healing ministry was also about the kingdom of God. Now think about the, the kinds of people that Jesus typically healed, you know, the illnesses and the ailments. Uh, he healed blind people. He healed paralyzed people. He healed people with leprosy. He healed people or women with uh, persistent bleeding. Okay, those are kind of the main categories. What do all of those have in common? Well, people with those illnesses and ailments were typically excluded from society or they could not participate fully Uh, in the traditions and especially the temple worship. So they were on the edges of society. They were excluded and they were vulnerable. So in healing people like this, what's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is saying that his kingdom is for all people. 
You know, his kingdom will, will pull those people who are rejected by society, who are excluded from economic and religious and, and civil life. He will pull them into his kingdom. The kingdom is good news for everybody, especially those who are marginalized and discriminated against. So the kingdom is, is good news for, for all people. Um, Jesus also uh, drove out demons. Right? That was also a miraculous healing, type of healing that he did. And what was Jesus demonstrating through that about the kingdom? What's the message about the kingdom in driving out demons? Well, I think it's quite obvious, isn't it? Jesus is saying that he has authority over the spiritual world, that he has authority over Satan. Okay, that's, that's an important part of the message of Jesus, that his domain and power extends into the, into the dark uh, spiritual realms as well. And then, of course, probably the most miraculous and amazing uh, miracles that Jesus performed was to raise people from the dead. There are three uh, recordings of, of people being raised from the dead by Jesus uh, in the scriptures. The best one is probably uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, just think about that. I mean, you cannot trump, you cannot outdo that sort of power, can you? I mean, imagine a corpse that is already starting to smell and decay, you know, being raised to life, you know, being, being given life again. It's just awesome and amazing. Why did Jesus do this? What was the point about the kingdom he was making? Well, a couple of things come to mind. I think, first of all, he is saying that, uh, you know, his kingdom is about new creation and new birth, that when we enter into the life of Christ, we really are New creation, you know, our life starts again, so to speak. But he's also saying that, um, you know, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And in his kingdom, we have eternal life. That when he returns and when God fully establishes his kingdom, all of the enemies will be defeated. And the last enemy to, de to be defeated is that of death, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. So this is a picture of eternal life in the kingdom where, uh, as we read in, in Revelation 21, where there will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. This is a picture of, of God's kingdom fully established. You know, so Jesus was totally focused on his mission. He had a razor sharp focus on announcing the kingdom. He did that verbally through proclamation, preaching and teaching. But he also demonstrated the kingdom through his, through his miracles, the miracles that he, that he performed. So why would anybody not want to be part of this kingdom? Now, why would anybody not want to repent and enjoy the refreshing of repentance that we read about in the early church in the book of Acts? Now, why would people hold back from from trusting and believing in Jesus, the perfectly good king? Well, I think you and I know the answer to that. You know, human beings don't like to give up control. We don't like the thought of submitting to authority. It's been true in all generations, but I would suggest, especially in the young generation nowadays, because of the bad experiences with authority, you know, the distrust and the doubts. You know, people nowadays... Uh, are unwilling, they're hesitant uh, to give up their rights, you know, to give up their control 
and to obey Jesus and to submit fully to him. And I was just thinking that, you know, if nothing else, what I would like us to really appreciate and get through this lesson today is to understand the kind of king that King Jesus is. You know, he's a different kind of ruler. He is good. He, he is faithful to his promises, right? He won't promise something and not deliver. He's a servant king. Uh, he role models, you know, sacrifice for us and servanthood. There's just so much about Jesus that is amazing. He is a unique person. Yes, he is God, but he is also this unique human being, an incredibly good person who wants, who puts the interests of others before his own. Jesus is worth laying down our lives for. Jesus is worth submitting to. Not just once off when we when we baptize, but Jesus is worth it. He is uh, he is worth us giving up our lives daily, denying ourselves daily, taking up our cross daily, submitting and surrendering to daily. Why why would we do this? We would do this if we really understand who Jesus is and what he's about. And I'm going to now show a short clip. Uh, that is uh, that's regarded by many as the greatest, most powerful sermon of all time that really describes who Jesus is. I believe in a great way that should inspire us and motivate us to serve him and to obey him and to be allegiant to him. So this clip will also help prepare our hearts for the communion. Um, so I'll be back in a minute. I wonder if you know him. Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, no barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoulder supply. Well, he's enduringly strong. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he purifies the meek. Do you know him? Do you know my king? Well, my king. 
is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a gateway of glory. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you know him? He's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Yeah! Do you know him? He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the popular. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah! So that's our king. Why wouldn't we want to serve and obey such an amazing king? Let's pray before we take the bread and the fruit of the vine. Father God, what an amazing king we serve. When we think about our king, that he would come down from heaven to this earth to be with us, to walk amongst us to lead us, to guide us, to give his life for us. Mm-hmm. We can only stand in awe and wonder of you and of the king who we have been called to pledge allegiance to, mm-hmm. to follow with all our hearts. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much that you are a God with incredible mercy, that you show us kindness and goodness King Jesus, you are incredible in how you have sacrificed and laid down your life for us. And we want to take this time to really think about where our hearts are at this morning, to really ponder on whether we truly have pledged allegiance to you, whether we really are in awe of this King who we serve And God, I pray that we can allow you to search our hearts Mm -hmm. so that we can find any place in us where we are still holding back, Mm 
where we have not pledged allegiance and that you will lead us to a place of repentance even now this morning. I pray, God, as we take the bread, that we will remember your body, Jesus, that was broken for us. I pray as we take the fruit of the vine that we will remember your blood that was shed for us and that we will come away from this time with a new strength, with a a new urgency, Mm -hmm. with a new wonder of who you are and that we will wholeheartedly serve you, love you and obey you, King Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.